Thanks for joining us at Emmanuel Christian Community as we look at the book of Nehemiah from the Old Testament. Nehemiah was, in one sense, a regular guy. He was a layman, not a priest or a prophet, just a guy that believed in God and was open to God using him. He was full of passion and love for God and does everything in his power to lead the Israelites into a new era of devotion to God. (laughs) And it doesn't work. So as we consider Nehemiah, we will observe his strong leadership qualities, which were necessary to complete the task at hand. But we'll also look at some of his flaws and hopefully we'll learn from him. Ultimately, we're looking for the heart of the matter. And if we look close enough, we'll see it. Well, we are quickly approaching the end of our time in Nehemiah. And all along, we've been asking this question, what's the heart of the matter? And today we're going to get even more specific with that sort of question, asking what does a true revival of the heart look like? What does a true revival of the heart look like? And so in this message, we're going to just push pause just for a second, okay? And we're going to do a short review and try to keep this big picture perspective in mind so that, so that we don't miss the heart of the matter. And then, and then we'll pick up just right where we left off this week, next week, okay? And so we're going to do that. And then we're also real quickly going to just briefly, really briefly, uh, just glance at Nehemiah chapter 7 through 10. Now, you may remember several weeks ago, I showed you this image. And so you see the puzzles in the puzzle box there. So I wanted to remind you what the outside of the box looks like, right? Because we've been immersed in the pieces of the puzzle. So we want to peek at the box just for a few minutes to keep things in perspective, okay? Over 100 years before Nehemiah appears on the scene, God moved in the heart of King Cyrus to send some of the Jewish exiles back to Israel. By the way, by the way, this was told in a detailed prophecy of Jeremiah and Ezekiel years before it ever happened that they would return from exile. So, so they returned. They began to settle in the land. And two guys, Zerubbabel and Yeshua, led the construction project of rebuilding the temple and also the altar for sacrifices. And the details of all those who returned, as well as the struggles they had during this whole project, take up the first six chapters of the book of Ezra. And and Ezra and Nehemiah go together. And so that's one part of the puzzle. That's one part of the outside of the box, the building of the temple, right? But we don't necessarily see a revival of the heart in the people once the temple is complete. Hmm. Well, about 60 years have passed. Ezra, the guy that the book's named after, appears on the scene. He arrives in town with a ton of money and authority from the king to establish this newly built temple and to get the return exiles to follow the ways of God. But he immediately discovers they've done nothing to prepare The priests are living in the valley. They've even married foreign women. The priests have. And Ezra just goes a bit postal on all of them. Well, eventually, they decide to declare a national divorce decree. And then they promise, we're going to get our act together. We promise. And then the book of Ezra has this odd ending 
depicting the divorced families just leaving town. It's kind of weird. But we don't necessarily see a revival of the heart and the people once they have all this money and all these new rules in place. Hmm. Now, I just want to do a little sidebar here just for a second because when we read passages like this or hear about passages like this and hear about people marrying non-Israelites as well as breaking the laws, we kind of think in our day and time, our stage and age of life, that this kind of stuff, it's not that big of a deal, right? But many of the laws and the traditions that we see in the first five books of the Old Testament, which is the Torah, can sound a lot like a bunch of rules when you just glance at it. But really, it was God's mercy. It was God saying, here's how you should live. Not, not because I, I want to be legalistic and, and, and I want you to be an uptight people with no joy. No, no, no. Actually, just the opposite. My law is here so you'll have whole and loving relationships with each other and with me. They're here to protect you. It's, it's my, actually my mercy on you. And, and, and a very important piece, and so that the nations around you, they will see this and they'll be drawn to you. And in turn, you will point to me because you will be saying, no, no, it's God. He's, he's in our hearts. Not the temple, not the laws, but the author of all this, God, Yahweh. So through you, God says, I'm going to save everybody, save the whole world. God had a plan to use his people to redeem the entire world. So yeah, these rules actually are kind of a big deal, right? Okay, sidebar over, right? So we don't really see a revival of the heart in the people. Now our man, Nehemiah, appears on the scene and we enter the book of Nehemiah. And, and Nehemiah and Ezra are contemporaries, okay? And so he appears on the scene and we begin to learn about him in this book that's named after him. And he adds to our big picture on the outside of the box kind of thing. He adds to our puzzle by building this wall. And the wall is there to protect the people because as the temple's built, uh, they start moving back into the city. They need a wall for protection. But it also symbolizes God's protection over them as well. And what we've seen in the first six chapters of Nehemiah that we've been studying the last several weeks are the details of daily life along with names and places as this wall is being built. We've seen the opposition to the wall. Uh, we've seen the mistreatment of their own people, how the Jewish people mistreated their own people. And in the middle of all that, we've seen Nehemiah's incredible leadership and courage. And last week, we saw that the wall was completed. But we don't necessarily see a revival of the heart in the people once this wall is done. So, there you have it. There's the outside of the box. That's it in a nutshell. The temple was built, uh, the book of God that Ezra reintroduced, and then this wall that Nehemiah brings in. And, and do any of those things bring a revival of the heart? Hmm. So now we come to this section of Nehemiah where we find the wall is completed, and our friend Ezra re-enters the story, the narrative at this point. And so I'm just going to take a few minutes, and we're also going to take all of next week, and we're going to look closer at some of these jigsaw puzzles in this section after the wall has been built, okay? So, so put your seatbelts on. I'm going to fly through chapters 7, 8, 9, and 10. I mean really fly through, okay? So in chapter 7, 
there's a retelling of all those who returned from exile. It's basically a reading of a census. And I say retelling because it literally is almost word for word a repeat of Ezra chapter 2. Okay, so Nehemiah 7, Ezra 2, they match up. Then in chapter 8, Nehemiah and Ezra gather the people together. And listen, I, I believe that Ezra and Nehemiah, they do get the heart of the matter. And they want to make sure that the people do as well. Maybe their approach isn't the best approach for spiritual renewal, uh, this revival of the heart that I keep mentioning. But they seem to understand that God is after people's hearts. That's what he wants, right? So they gather everyone together. And they, began, and they began to read the words of God to them from the book of God. What they had was the Torah. And the people weep. They weep because they realize, oh, we've not obeyed this. We could have been obeying this all along. Our disobedience has caused this relationship between us and each other to break down. This is not good. And, and actually, in this chapter 8, it's a very tender moment. They weep, and Ezra, and then their helpers, the Levites around them, say, you know, it's, it's okay. It, it's, good that, it's good that you're repentant, but, but the good news is, God is happy with you. So be strong, knowing that he's happy with you. God receives your repentance, and it gives him joy. So let his joy encourage you. Let his joy make you strong. I want to look at, at just a, a little line from the Bible that you may have heard but didn't know where it came from. And maybe you didn't really understand the context, but you've heard it. And it's right here in our section. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9. Look at it together with me. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites who had taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I've heard said the joy of the Lord is your strength much of my life, my Christian life anyway, but understanding the context makes it even sweeter for me. Well, on to chapter 9. The Levites gather all the people together, and most of chapter 9 is this long poem like prayer and time of lamenting over their sins. It's a very interesting chapter. And then we enter chapter 10. And they decide that they all agree and we'll do it in writing, that they will follow God and his ways. And so they, kind of, they list the names of their leaders and even some of the details of their promise in chapter 10. Now, there's much to see in these chapters. And like I said, next week, Andres is going to bring us back here for a closer look at a portion of this before we move on to the final two sections of Nehemiah. So our goal for today was to kind of push pause and look at the outside of the big puzzle, the box, and then just glance at these chapters here, and that's what we've done. But let me just close by saying, if we step back even further, one big picture idea we can see is that there's much going on. There's this building of the temple, 
There's this introducing the book of the law. There's building a wall. There's much going on to lead people to God, to create a spiritual renewal, a revival of sorts. And the question that we want to consider as we dive deeper, deeper into this section next week is what does it take? What does it take? What should it take to bring about spiritual renewal? What does a true revival of the heart look like? Does it, does it mean building structures of worship? It could. Does it mean writing something down and making a pledge that I'm going to keep this pledge, I'm going to promise this? It, it could. Does it mean studying and learning all you can about Scripture? Certainly that has to be a part of it, right? But what does a true revival of the heart look like? I want to ask you to consider that question. Maybe even ask it of yourself every day as you drive to work or as you walk or, or whatever you do. I'm not going to answer it for you. I want you to consider it. Consider what you've been learning from Nehemiah, but also consider just what God has taught you personally over the years and ponder this question this week. And next week, Andreas is going to pick us right up where I'm leaving today with this question, what does a true revival of the heart look like? And, and so if you will join me in prayer right now as we just close this, this teaching time. Father, we want to ask that question, and so we're asking you right now together as a community, but also as individual people. What does the true revival of the heart look like? Show us this, Lord. Show us. Show us your heart. Show us how to be directly in touch with your heart. Help us, Father, not to miss your heart. And Lord, as we learn this, as we experience this, as we see this, help it to move from our heads to our hearts and that we would be people who act on your word and on your spirits moving in our lives, that we would be people of you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, in Jesus' holy name we pray these things. Amen.